Also, uh, you can edit this in somewhere else, I forgot to say, but if people want to email us with thoughts, questions, or feedback, or whatever, they can reach us at streamtheorypod at gmail.com. So, send your thoughts and... Have we got any thoughts? I don't think we have. Nobody wants to think uh, about us. Nobody wants to talk to us. All right, I will put... Uh, it will be the first thing in this. Hey. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, email us if you want to talk to us. We're, we're very lonely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Stream Theory. I am Jackson from the channel Skip Intro and various other media properties, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and on the other line is Thomas Flight of the YouTube channel Thomas Flight. How's it going, Thomas? Hi, hi Jackson. How's uh, how's month three of uh, your quarantine? Is it really month three? Well, it's the third. This is the third podcast we're recording in this situation. Oh my God, so, it is. So yeah, we're getting in there. Didn't after the first one, weren't we like, oh, this is going to be a crazy one. Maybe you're listening <laughs> and you're like, what was that? Yeah, yeah. It's it's I think about that sometime when I watch various things like I we were watching the finale of uh, Survivor a week. I don't know. Time is a mush, but recently <laughs> and um, it, because normally they do this big like they have a live studio audience at the end and Jeff Probst, the host, he comes out, he like reads the votes live and it's this whole thing. Um, but literally they just had like a Zoom call and. Jeff Probst had a setup in his garage that they had sent him like some cameras and stuff. Oh my and God. So it's like it's the just end like, of uh, Tiger King. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I was just like, I was thinking about it as I was watching it. I was like, you know, assuming hopefully that this type of thing won't continue to happen on a regular basis. You know, this is going to be a really weird time to like look back on in 20 years or maybe even sooner than that and be like this like little patch of media where things were very strange and everybody had to like mention what was going on in whatever podcast or show or thing that you were watching or listening to. We talked about this on the first episode, but just how... I think that we're going to really start to feel the like the gap in production in like a couple months when yeah, yeah. stuff has stuff that should have been getting shot now is not coming out. And right now we still have like this whole backlog, like there's stuff coming out that it's like, oh, I didn't even realize that they they shot that already and they've been editing it. Yeah. Like who knows when Succession will come back. Uh, shout out there's... to the OG, which just dropped on Spotify. Um, <laughs> filling my, uh... my Succession hole in my heart. <laughs> I'll I'll post a, I'll put a link in the show notes but Metacritic has this big massive list of every show and movie that has been delayed either in release or production by the coronavirus and it's oh, yeah, massive that, huge. in scope uh but it's really interesting to just kind of see yeah everything that is being touched by this so yeah i think we're, we're definitely going to start feeling it it, does, it feels like it hasn't been very transparent in the media realm like when they're going to start filming stuff again and what yeah. kind of barriers they have to clear but it has been like a little more clear in the sports realm we're starting to see sports come back with no fans which is not a thing that you can really do with right i mean there are no fans for like a filming of better call Saul. maybe there should be i don't know uh but you know they there's still obviously a production that's going in and there's wrestling with no fans which is one of the most bizarre watches you can find on tv <laughs> i totally recommend it because they're still doing all of the strutting and stuff as if there's an audience but right not <laughs> and there's just these really awkward pauses that i like just want them to like pump in fake crowd noise because at least that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. Or it would sound right. The cadence would be correct. <laughs> That's awesome. 
but yeah, I, I guess we're getting close to the NBA's targeting coming back in mid July. Uh, is the is the word from yesterday? But who knows? Um, yeah, I don't. Nobody, as far as I know, I haven't heard much about like actual productions starting back up um, yet. I'm assuming in some places, uh, as things are opening back up, there will be some people who are gung ho and start getting back into it i know the only places where they never shut down there's been production going or netflix has had some production going in new zealand and south korea this whole time and new zealand so, has been they're like all set now they like handled yeah. everything fine and yeah um, um so maybe they, maybe we'll have a nice little uh influx of south korean content in uh you know maybe six the months lord of the rings show will actually come out <laughs> yeah that's the only thing that they could make in 2020 but yeah i think i think it's going to be like once one thing the reason i bring up sports is not because i i want to talk about that i mean i do want to talk about basketball but the the reason i bring it up is just i think that that was kind of one of the first things that really shut down prominently right and yeah. if they uh restart maybe that'll be a sign to other people that they can restart I, yeah. i'm not a scientist i don't know if things should restart or not but yeah um, just worth keeping an eye on i guess yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it progresses the really fascinating thing i think this is kind of outside our wheelhouse for movies is the fact that um even though in some areas theaters are starting to open back up there's a lot of larger um films that they're saying like no way are we going to release this film to like theaters that are only going to have you know 10 percent capacity or whatever it just wouldn't make sense financially so there's a lot of places where it's like yeah theaters might be open in like these five states or whatever but nothing's going to be coming out in them until the majority of theaters are open again um, i will say that uh massachusetts has reopened uh, drive-in movie theaters. I don't think that there are any, but they are open. <laughs> <laughs> they are allowed to be open regardless of weather. There's one not that far from my house that I went to like years ago, uh, and I don't know if it's still open, but when all this happened, I was like, it would be fascinating to go see if that place is still still the, open. But the only I, one I've been to in Massachusetts was abandoned. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, like, you know, there's a little bit of romanticism to the drive-in movie experience but it's not a great experience for like actually watching a movie so uh it's it's not really a replacement for a traditional theater yeah yeah for sure all right let's hop into the news although we kind of just covered some some amorphous news but uh we have some like concrete actual streaming news to talk about um, yes which is uh, which is nice i guess it's nice to feel that time is still marching on, even though it feels like it's not. Um, the, so the first thing we have on our docket on This Just In, which is when we talk about the news every month, is Netflix's awesome quarter. Uh, we we recorded our last month's pod right like the day before uh, they released their, their investor report, and they added 16 million subscribers in quarter one it was one of their best quarters like in decades really um since yeah. the the company first started yeah i think i think this was surprising to a lot of people um you know there was that little blip they had last year where they had like even lost subscribers at least in the u.s and people were maybe a little bit concerned but uh not us or <laughs> investors were concerned i don't think any, yeah we weren't concerned and no no actual concern I, I i also love this whole thing where it's like the investors are like ooh, mi millions of additional subs it's like it has no real bearing on me except for the down the road thing of like the better they do theoretically the more money they have to spend on content well, that and might... hopefully they don't they don't have to raise their prices. Right. Yes, that that is good for me as well. But yeah, no, Netflix is doing well. And so is uh, 
is Disney Plus. They are up to um, 54 million subscribers, at least for in the Disney Plus and Netflix camp right now. The rising tide is is raising all the boats. They don't seem to be hurting each other, which is great because it's just in time for HBO Max to come out. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. to, to throw the whole thing for a loop. Well, and that this is my this was kind of my theory. I, I think we've talked about it before, but I, th- you know, I think there's plenty of there's plenty of room for like multiple big players here to succeed. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to see it over time be whittled down to one or two or even like three or four streaming players. I think the question is like, as more and more and more people throw their hats in and we have like, there's six, seven, ten different things. It's like, what's what's going to be the maximum number of these services that people are even going to not even have the money for, but just even have the time and sort of mental like space to juggle and be interested in having. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I kind of sense. I don't know what your feeling is, but like personally for me, it's like once I hit this level of I buy, I just subscribe to a lot of these be- right now because I need to watch different things for my job or this show or whatever. But it's like after I get to the point of like four or five different services that I have simultaneously, I'm just kind of like it's too much stuff for me to really even keep track of very effectively. I just feel this sort of like overwhelm. Yeah, I think to piggyback on that, I think, yeah, absolutely. You can kind of see in the stuff that is getting the most buzz is pretty much all coming from Netflix. Um, Disney Plus is obviously, as we just mentioned, adding subscribers, but I don't know of any like new shows that are making a buzz there. The the Clone yeah. Wars show that they uh, rebooted for its last season to finish off the way I guess they wanted to finish off definitely made some buzz. But, you know, that's not drawing new people. Um, that's not that's that's just part of the Star Wars umbrella, which is obviously gigantic. But, you know, every week. I'm seeing a new thing on Netflix that's number one that I wouldn't have expected. There, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender comes in and I expected like some people to watch it, but it's number one in America for like yeah. its first weekend. And it's just kind of seems like whatever Netflix puts on is going to explode. Um, I made that video for The Ringer about Ozark and like I expected it to do well, but I didn't expect it to be like one of the most best performing videos I've like had. And it's because I think it's just on Netflix and yeah, yeah. it's in front of everybody's eyes. And ne- the first the first drop of it kind of got overshadowed by Tiger King. But then for weeks after that, it was always in the top five and all of my friends have been like oh yeah this ozark show is pretty good I, I feel like there's a recent uptick in the the netflix buzz and maybe it's because we're all just stuck at home around specific shows um but i also i wonder if this design choice of adding like a top 10 to everyone's streaming page actually has a sort of effect of like creating these shows that are sort of these more monolithic like buzz generators because for so long i've made a video a long time ago folk focusing on this i think we've talked right, about right, it right. But, like, i know exactly what you're talking about yeah they specialize by the way listeners you should you should watch it <laughs> yeah it's called uh your netflix is special i'm sure you can find it but th- they they customize everybody's page so that you know the recommendations are like highly tailored to you and even your trending bar is not like a global trending bar throughout all of Netflix. It's just like trending stuff that they think you're going to like. But this is the first time they've taken it and they've said, hey, here's the thing, the things that are like objectively, at least according to us, the most popular 10 items. And I think there's there's a part of people that like I found it in myself. They just want to watch what other people are watching. Right. And I think if you if you have a list of that, you can be like, oh, this is really popular. I'll watch that because it's the number one thing. And that just probably has like this exponential effect 
effect in promoting those shows and making them sort of these larger buzz pieces. So I was just going to say, like, I, I wonder how much of it is just like the fact that they've they've literally turned that on and given us a way to see what's most popular, which just, you know, has like a feedback effect. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we've talked about over and over on, or at least I have been harping on is Netflix's binge model is bad for business. You know, this idea that how are you going to keep people engaged in something for weeks at a time? How are you going to, you know, dominate the monoculture as we're, as we're talking about yeah. and i think this is a really this is a really netflix solution to this this problem and it seems to be working like gangbusters there's no way to know if this is if that's true um like there's no way to to check right. netflix's work on this and i wonder sometimes if they're putting stuff in the top 10 that's really just netflix stuff um right right it's just the stuff that they want to promote cuz i mean there's no way anyone could ever no uh, yeah, yeah. You ever know yeah i mean there you can kind of people have like put together oh this is how many people we think watched x y and z but nobody i mean nobody really knows yeah um yeah i mean they've definitely they definitely dominated the last month too they had you know first month of tiger king which was in april or march i should say was 64 million viewers and then the other documentary that did really well in the last couple weeks was the michael jordan documentary on espn which actually beat Tiger King for viewers. But when you consider that it is a co-production by Netflix and all the international distribution is by Netflix, they also got 24 million viewers out of that in the first right. four weeks. So yeah. um, they're doing great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're uh, killing it. And and again, like I think, you know, uh, just to wrap up the top, t the thing about the top 10 stuff is like, I think it shows yet again that they seem to be willing to like adapt. They've in the past focused their design, at least their interface design on like really heavy specialization. And then it's like, well, if that's not working perfectly, or maybe let's test this out and see if it works better. Like there's, there's this weird thing with TV, I think other media too, but, all, but specifically with TV where it's like, you could have this theory of like, I want people want to watch the shows that they are going to like the most and be the most entertained by, which is kind of the idea of hyper specialization. Like we're going to recommend to you the stuff that is specifically for you. And that's like, I can see that that's a piece of the puzzle of why pop people watch stuff, but people also want to watch things that other people are watching because there's a social aspect to TV. And so if you just specialize, you don't give people any way of finding what other people are watching except to just, you know, hear word of mouth like, oh, people are talking about this, so I'll watch it. I think that's true of like Tiger King. Like if I had watched Tiger King and had talked to no nobody about it and knew nothing about it culturally, I would have been like, okay, yeah, that was wild. That was interesting. But I don't like, think I would have finished it, to be honest. Yeah, but being part of this sort of ex cultural experience and that's the whole value of mono the monoculture um that you sort of make a case for or these monoculture shows it adds value to that experience um so i guess netflix is maybe maybe this is a sign they're realizing that more i don't know we'll, we'll or, see or they're kind of finding their own solution uh, yes yeah to it um as opposed to just listening to me who's like just do the same thing <laughs> everyone else has been doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so speaking of uh, solutions that don't necessarily work, uh, I think last last month we talked about 
uh, the launch of Quibi, which was a really big story, I guess. I, I don't know. It, it seemed like a big deal at the time. And um, if you're kind of like, wait, you guys talked about Quibi. What is Quibi? Um, that's kind of the point of this next story, which is that Quibi is just one of the most colossal media failures <laughs> of uh, like recent history. They put in like $1.8 billion, and uh, despite app downloads for everything going up during quarantine, they just like have gone down somehow. <laughs> um, yeah. And the, the CEO has blamed coronavirus, um, which is wild. And <laughs> I watched this, this great video last night about why it is such a failure on so many different levels from the way that it is setting up its content where it's just making movies and then cutting it up into 10 minute chapters that you have to wait a day for to the total not utilization of the phone uh like the portrait landscape thing which is like its big feature doesn't work really uh because it just cuts off the sides if you go to portrait it doesn't actually like it's not shot differently it's just yeah yeah <laughs> it just cuts off the sides and the fact that people want to be on their phone while they watch TV and, oh, you know, any number of other things. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to throw this over to you because you've actually watched Quibi and um, I haven't because it's a failure. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't. I will say I haven't watched much Quibi. I mean, we talked about I talked about watching some last po episode or the one before that, whenever we talked about it. And after that, I literally had never like I watched a few things and then I didn't even touch the app again because nothing I had watched grabbed my interest enough for me to want to go back there. Um, and it's just I don't know. You, it's like I, I think the blaming the uh, the CEO blaming the coronavirus for the failure is kind of hilarious and that like it's so funny there's so many things obviously wrong with it besides uh that situation but i do think there's like i i do think that plays like some role i think it would have failed anyway but it's also it's just an awkward a terribly awkward style of content for this well, no, that's actually I, ta I, I take it back. That's not even true, because what I was going to say is the whole idea is it's these short little things that you watch on your phone. And when you're sitting around your house there, there's rarely these times where you're like, oh, I want like, I don't know, five or ten minutes of content. Usually if you're at home, you just there are situations like that, but you generally can like sit down to watch something longer or I don't know, you have something else to do. Um, the idea would be more like you're out and about and you want this quick kind of thing, I think is the idea. I don't know, but quick, quick bites. That's what it stands yes, for. Quick bites, quick bites. But even now that I'm saying that, I think that's wrong because something that has seriously increased in popularity during this whole quarantine is TikTok, which essentially provides you with like a short, you know, I, I would imagine most people open TikTok and watch TikToks for probably five or 10 minutes. It's probably like the exact yeah, demographic. I'm of only watching it for five to 10 minutes. Definitely. <laughs> right. right. The yeah, I'm amount of time that I'm watching it for. I'm definitely not laying there until TikTok shames me into going to sleep by sending you uh, these like mental health uh alerts have you ever gotten those no but um <laughs> if you if you watch tiktok long enough late at night don't ask me how i know this it'll eventually <laughs> give you a tiktok that says like hey we all know that like watching tiktoks oh is a lot of fun but like please remember to sleep and like take care of your and it's like a popular tiktoker that's like saying this in the video oh, my but God. it's from an account called like tiktok mental health something or whatever so literally if you watch tiktoks long enough they they will eventually do 
do that Netflix thing of like, are you still there? Are you are you okay? Oh my god! I, I usually watch it. I'm I'm in the opposite boat where I wake up and then I don't get out of bed for like an hour okay, and yeah, watch yeah. TikTok. So maybe it only comes on at night. But yeah, um, I, I think it's about specifically like after midnight, like being wow, that's like phenomenal. Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. So we're definitely not watching TikTok for hours, but like in addition to the hours of TikTok that I'm watching, I'm also watching those short little like open it up watch five or ten minutes it kind of fits that like place nicely um so i think there's a place for that i think and i was gonna make a case that maybe that hurt quibi but no as i said it i realized (laughs) quibi's just terrible (laughs) yeah i mean there's just like so many miscalculations um like it sounds like all of the people that they've hired to work on quibi are like big media like big film names like spielberg and and all these other people who have never made short form content before. Yeah. And the one time that they have like reached out to YouTubers, they apparently have just totally ripped them off. Um, they just have totally taken. I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, we'll link to what's his name? Cody. Yeah. Cody. We'll, Cody we'll, Johnston on some we'll link news. to his. Yeah. We'll link to his video in the show notes. Um, he yeah. He does a great job detail. of just breaking down all of just the terrible choices. And uh, he's uh, he's one of my favorite YouTubers. Um, so <laughs> that that's a good yeah. good thing as well but yeah it seems like they just have taken these films and they've just cut them into like people have said that the most dangerous game is actually like a good film but then it's you have to watch it in 10 minute chunks yeah it's ter- it's a terrible way to watch that it it's not made for and it's it's yeah it's bizarre that was i watched the first 10 minutes of it and and i was like oh this is a cool you know the production value is great the performances were cool the story seemed interesting but it was like the 10 minutes were over and i was like okay like i'm gonna come back tomorrow and watch the next it just i don't know it the the way they poured money into this seemed real like they they were literally throwing at a money at a wall they just they bought a lot of faces um yeah i think you and i were both like oh they're throwing so much money in it they must have they must have a good idea they must be pretty confident in this idea yeah but they they must have spent no money on like r&d or people who were going to figure out okay how do we specifically make content in 10 minute chunks in five minute chunks that's going to engage people like keep their attention keep them coming back like it seems like they did none of that they literally are just like hey we'll just make you know you know what people want those shows those other shows they watch but just shorter it's like no that's not nobody asked for that yeah and we kind of talked about this last last month talking about the difference between tiktok and quibi and how tiktok is like its own art form at this point yeah and how quibi was going to have to do that if it wanted to to succeed and that maybe it could and it's clear that it can't and yeah. it's so funny because in that article where he talks about how coronavirus is the reason quibi is failing they're like well tiktok uh, downloads are up or something and he says that's like comparing apples to submarines as if they're not they're not like both apps for your phone that show you video content so um yeah no quibi is gonna quibi is going down in flames and uh it is it's kind of funny to be honest yeah oh and it's it's gonna crash and burn real hard because they had a like 90 day free trial so like i still have quibi on my phone but i'm still like on the free trial there is it's failed literally it's free right now and it's failing as hard (laughs) as it is nobody has paid a dime for this yet and And, nobody is going to i guarantee one more thing that is also i'm i'm 
I'm I apologize if I'm just totally ripping off this YouTube video that I watched breaking this all down. But they also have like they only are leasing all of this content for like two years or something. And then the creators can then have all the licensing rights to then release it in another place if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is which might be part of the problem in the sense that like that would incentivize yeah, creators point. to create content that would also work later somewhere else, which is like that's not what you want. You want people to create content that will specifically work on this mobile platform. Yeah. I mean, how could this fail? Honestly, how um, could it fail? They, they really seem like they had it all figured out. And uh, <laughs> then coronavirus hit and it just. Yeah. Really yeah. Over. Well, too bad. Too bad <laughs> for the Quibi people. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor and uh, jump to the trending now section after the this. Break. This episode is brought to you by Quibi. Uh, you can get your free 90 day <laughs> trial now. Clearly, we've been sponsored by Quibi um, after yes. that rave review. Uh, <laughs> All right. So every month we talk about we dive into one show that um, is in the public consciousness and, you know, talk about it in both the streaming sense and just how it's impacting television or film. And this month we decided that uh, what would be better than revisiting a show that started in 1999, The Sopranos, because <laughs> um, there's nothing quite like um, to millennial. Are you a millennial or are you? Are you uh, yes, I'm, techni I'm technically a millennial. Yeah. Are you a because I know I'm like I'm close to the end of the I'm a very young millennial. Yeah, yeah I would young. be on the younger side of a, of a millennial as well, but... Yeah, but I look at TikTok and I'm clearly not Gen Z. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like I'm young enough to be like someone who got on TikTok, but old enough to not be the the primary demographic there. Just the way you said TikTok, <laughs> TikTok. It's clear there that was you're like not a Gen Z. <laughs> it was. It's a a TikTok. What is a TikTok? <laughs> Tell me about this uh, TikTok. And then I go to my my younger sister who uh, is a, definitely a Gen Zer, and I, I ask her these questions about TikTok, and it's the oldest I've ever felt in my life, literally. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, D is this trend that I have on my TikTok page? Is that one that's like, do you see that? Is that universal to TikTok, or is that just because? <laughs> I'm older and she's like, no, yeah, no, you <laughs> No, you're you're older. Yeah, That's yeah, I'm, for sure. I'm old. Um, <laughs> but the reason we wanted to talk about the Sopranos is we're kind of reaching this point in quarantine where people are actually considering starting these older shows that are ones that they've always wanted to try, but it's always felt like kind of a uh, an uphill battle. It's it's a big slog. There's like, I don't know, 100 episodes, 89 episodes of The Sopranos, I think. And it's it has felt like too much when there's like life to be living. But now that there's no life to be living, it's a great time <laughs> to watch The Sopranos. Yeah. And yeah. you and I both finished it in 2020 um, at some point this this calendar year. And um, we also did not watch it as it came out. And I think that a lot of the people who are talking about The Sopranos and have touted it as this great television show are people who watched it as it was coming out. These critics that kind of got their start recapping or reviewing The Sopranos. And I thought it'd be interesting for us to talk about it um, after we've seen shows that were clearly inspired by The Sopranos first and to kind of look at it in a retrospective uh, way. Yeah, I think it's in, in a lot of ways, it's the grandfather of like the modern golden era of TV. Um, and I think it's kind of easy to sort of overlook that. Whereas like I, at least in my, at least since I've really been paying attention to like longer form narrative TV, it's just always been around. Like Breaking Bad was a big part of my introduction into like better TV, quote unquote. And for and, a lot of people our age, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when 
when the Sopranos came out, I was like six years old or or seven or something. So like I've always lived in a world where shows like this exist. Whatever it is about The Sopranos that it was there, there was a lot of things about it that were new. Um, and certainly people had done like longer form serialized stories, stories yeah. serialized stories before. Um, but I think there was just like kind of a depth and nuance to the way Sopranos approached that. And it's certainly kind of kicked off this era of like a specific interest in like these darker anti-heroes, right. um, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. Um, just to piggyback on that real quick, there's a book written by a guy named Brett Martin, uh, which is uh, something that I, I recommend called Difficult Men. And it kind of traces the line of this kind of archetype from Tony Soprano to Walter White. And yeah, I mean, you see it all over the place now. And to the point where now it is being kind of postmodern uh, style deconstructed in other shows. And uh, it's it kind of is like this interesting lens to look through all of TV at this point. Yeah. And and so I, you know, I think I think there's a lot of the a lot of people now who probably grew up or started watching these shows that were directly influenced by The Sopranos and then now are going back and watching watching the sopranos retrospectively um which i think is some, something that i think is interesting here is in reading about the show and sort of its reception as it was coming out there's there was this something i see mentioned often from whether it's david chase or other creators where it seemed like there was at least a portion of people who were engaging with the show sort of as viewers in a way that wasn't necessarily intended by the creators so they were like big fans of tony soprano or they kind of were like seeing it as this glorification of this lifestyle or they were watching it because they liked gangsters and this whole like yeah. mob life and that directly influenced the way sort of the show developed um i had heard some stuff where like they specifically tried to push the boundaries as the show went on of sort of how bad they could make tony because they were constantly sort of trying to push him into this territory of like unlikability um against sort of the the way the audience was receiving the show. Yeah, you, you can still see that today. If you go into, if you go on, I, once I finished The Sopranos, YouTube must have like known because it started serving <laughs> me like all of the clips yeah, and yeah. I watched all of them again. And, uh, <laughs> but in the comment sections, you can see like, it'll be like this murder of like this death of like a beloved character who it's like this tragic death. And the comments are like, yeah, well, they shouldn't have been a fucking snitch or whatever. And right. like all this stuff that's just like, like, totally remorseless, really. And it, it was really shocking to me, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I can see how it happens because, like, e even watching it, you learn to love Tony Soprano. I've seen people say that about, like, Walter White, too, where there's people who, like, really, l like, love or like Walter White. Um, and that's kind of part of what's maybe potentially problematic about these kinds of stories. But, like, and in some ways, it's the power of TV, too, to kind of, like, bring you on such a journey with a character you can almost end up with this like stockholm syndrome type like nothing tony does is good nothing any of these people do are are good but you it, the show would i think the show would almost be entirely unwatchable if you didn't have some level of like endearment to these characters you kind of as um redemption or as reform is sort of dangled in front of your face you constantly you have these characters that are constantly on the brink of sort of improving themselves somehow or getting a little bit better even though they're terrible as that's dangled in front of your face you you want for them to step into that 
you kind of you want for the therapy that Tony is in to like help him or improve him in some way. Um, right. I have painted a complex thing here that I can't work my way out of, but <laughs> Well, I think that 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 kind of is telling. Uh, That's kind of the the whole story of The Sopranos um, is this kind of taking 80 plus episodes to really dive into this really complicated character. And it's really sold by James Gandolfini, which is why this performance is like touted over and over again, because without his ability to kind of switch between menacing and intimidating, but also charming and funny and, you know, like a family, like he does believe in family and there are there are things there are glimmers of hope in him kind of but also it never makes any bones about it never it never hides the fact that he is bad and that he won't get better like i don't think that there was ever a time when i was watching this show that i was like oh you know what maybe he'll be better now i think that might come and this is sort of what i was getting to though i think that might come from my point about like as it was airing people weren't necessarily engaging with it the way the creators were hoping for it to be engaged with. I think now audiences that are coming at it now, having watched things like Breaking Bad and like five other anti-hero shows now coming back to it, we can engage with it a little bit differently. And maybe I think contemporary audience audiences looking back on it are, are engaging with the show or watching it quote unquote. I hate to be the person, like I hate to use the words the way it was meant to be watched, but I think there's definitely like an intended effect, kind of the contemporary, audience right right and i think the contemporary audience is much more equipped in terms of like narrative literacy with this kind of story to sort of engage with it and interact with it in that way i don't think it necessarily would have been obvious to people watching it at the time that tony wasn't was was not going to get better or that there wasn't going to be a redemption arc or that absolutely yeah that's a great point you know so i think we can look at it now and be like oh yeah you know we see where this is headed but i I don't think that's necessarily you know obvious in s1 in 1999 yeah i kind of want to talk about you and i have talked offline about this a little bit but i kind of want to talk about the ending a little bit because i think that it kind of boils down exactly what we're talking about here um and you know there's going to be i guess there's some spoilers here but also this this scene is like super famous um the ending of the sopranos if you haven't had this scene spoiled for you i don't know where you're living (laughs) yeah i i definitely had seen it multiple times before i watched the show and uh it has this kind of famous cut to black mid mid sentence of journeys uh more than a feeling no not more than a feeling uh (laughs) um more than a feeling is is boston uh what am i thinking of don't stop believing is the lyric is that the thank you don't stop believing Um, and it kind of just cuts to black right in the middle of it as Tony is looking up and it was very polarizing in the moment when it aired. And I, I want to compare it to another show that had an ending that was totally not polarizing whatsoever. And that's in Breaking Bad. <laughs> and yeah. everybody watched the end of Breaking Bad and was like, that's perfect. That's the perfect ending. And there were a lot of people who liked the ending of The Sopranos, but it was not. I don't think that it really grew to be uh, admired until more, much more recently, much more retrospectively. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. And and that that kind of speaks to um, the idea of like audiences at the time sort of misunderstanding, I think, what the show was about or at least what the creators were trying to do with it. You know, I don't know that I can say their interpretation. 
interpretation their interpretation of how they were watching it was wrong necessarily if that's what they were getting from it but it at least i think a lot of people probably misunderstood exactly what david chase and the creators were trying to do and that ending sort of speaks to that you know the much more ambiguous nature of the show and it's really it's relationship to i don't know how deep you want to get into its relationship to i i was to i'm ready to go I'm ready to go deep because I kind of think that the more and more I think about it, the more and more I think that Breaking Bad is like a much more streamlined um, version of The Sopranos. And in that streamliningness, it loses some of that like ambiguity and nuance that makes yeah. The Sopranos so great. Not that so, Breaking Bad is not a great show. Um, Breaking Bad is a much more specific story to me. Um, like it has a slightly different trajectory, I think in then the sopranos in that like we we see we see tony start as a gangster he's already a gangster and he has this rise to power but he is already a gangster whereas like a fundamental part of maybe this is just super obvious but i think it, it affects the show in a pretty significant way like a fundamental part of the story of breaking bad is that walter that he's breaking bad yeah yeah that he <laughs> starts as just like a regular guy um and so i think like one of the interesting ideas that's in breaking bad is this idea of like you know is there is there like a potential for just any old regular person to become a walter white and like what does that process look like i think like in the sopranos we see tony start off pretty bad and we see it get worse and we see him sort of like losing control of like his world is just like falling apart around him and he's just sort of in this tailspin in a lot of ways um yeah i think i think uh in a lot of ways breaking bad is about gaining power and building an empire right and the sopranos is about uh trying to desperately hold Hold on to that power. Right. Um, yeah. And and, you know, each season kind of brings up a new enemy. There's like a new not even necessarily like a big bad. I hesitate to say big bad, but there's someone there's a mobster who is out there and they are ready to they're coming for Tony. They're right. coming for what he's got. And he kind of no spoilers here, but he kind of defeats each one of them in some way, shape or form. By the end, you know, he kind of has vanquished everyone, but you kind of know that someone else is coming and it might not be today. It might not be tomorrow, but he's always going to be looking over his shoulder and Breaking Bad kind of ends on this bittersweet note, but this very closure. There's a lot of closure in it. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's come to terms with who he is and it's it's not great, but, you know, he's kind of owned up to his mistakes and he's made redemption as much as he can in that moment. And he kind of doesn't have to live with who he is anymore because he dies. And uh, you know that Tony is going to just never there's never an end point for it. At one point, it will end, but he's not going to get that closure. He's not going to be able to confront who he really is. Yeah. And and we certainly aren't going to get it. Um, yes. And in that way, I think it's it's the it's definitely it feels like the more cynical show of the two, which is too weird to say about Breaking Bad, um, which doesn't have a lot of hope in it. But like especially now with the addition of like El Camino, there's a pretty significant like sort of redemption story within uh breaking bad um like there's characters that like have these more redemptive arcs whereas like i have a hard time finding anyone within the sopranos who like comes out of the show better off than they i have a hard time in. coming up with anyone who comes out of the show right <laughs> yes yeah yeah th- exactly um differences aside do you pro- do you think 
um, in exploring this kind of theme or these darker type of antihero, do you think uh, the Sopranos ending is like a better or more productive ending in a sort of maybe that's the wrong question to ask? I, but well, I, I mean, do you think yeah, there's a value it, judgment here or is it just like they achieve different things? I think they achieve different things, but I also think that what the Sopranos achieves is more profound um, and more interesting. I think. Right. Yeah. I think that in a lot of ways, they kind of they pass a lot more judgment on Tony Soprano than Breaking Bad does on Walter White, which is another show that even though it came out much later, really struggled with the same kind of things we're talking about in terms of people perceiving the show not the way that the creators wanted it to be perceived yeah um anna gunn who plays skylar white went to like the new york times op-ed section and she basically just printed some of the hate mail that she's gotten about how she like had gotten like basically death threats and stuff from fans who were like i hate skylar she's like holding she's like ungrateful for what she has and all this other stuff and Obviously, that's not all fans. I'm not not trying to say that. Right. But loving these difficult men, these antiheroes is not just a Sopranos thing. It's not just a 1999 thing. And I think that in the end, Breaking Bad is kind of <laughs> I mean, it's weird to say about a show where he dies, but it's like a happy ending. You know, he's kind of like smiling and he's like, ah, yes, where I belong in the in the meth lab. And uh, Tony's is just like it just feels like they have it feels like he's in hell. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, that's, and, and he's going to be he's going to be repenting or like suffering for eternity. Yeah. Tony's life is he's stuck in this sort of purgatorial like I don't think he and that's the thing even even in his progression I don't think he ever has the sort of satisfaction in himself that Walt has like that's one of the most yes. interesting things about Tony Soprano is like whenever he has these moments of like oh wow like oh I feel really good like hey I did the right thing or whatever or like I pulled off this this complicated solution to a problem I was having it always feels false there's always some level of like you can see right through it and you can see you know that he's just deceiving himself or something and um, what is it all for you know right yeah uh yeah in Breaking Bad he kind of he he tells him he says exactly what it was for it was for him it like made him feel alive and you don't get the feeling that like tony i mean tony does not enjoy his life no no like the whole thing starts because he's the whole series starts with him having panic attacks because he can't deal with the stress of being a, a right. gangster basically yeah and he's just but there's no way to escape it yeah um I, i'll throw the question back to you do you feel which ending which kind of thesis do you think is more interesting or or are they just totally different it's hard to compare them even though we've been comparing them for you know 25 minutes yeah we've been comparing them i mean i think i think the breaking bad ending does a good job for what i think that show is trying to do which is like or at least for me to me that show is like the is about just the capacity that people have even just like someone who is a chemistry teacher the difference between regular chemistry teacher and a drug lord are like all these tiny little steps in between like right those things are what separate the two and like it is theoretically possible for just like a regular person to go down that path and so like it just follows from point a to point b like that entire trajectory and so you know i think for that kind of story it works i don't know i think in order for a different ending there to like be uh, to be better quote unquote you you would have had to like fundamentally probably change some absolutely the story it's the it's the perfect ending for that story right yeah um but i i think like 
I, I think I do kind of agree with you in that, like, I don't really think about that ending of Breaking Bad. Like, it was a great ending to that show. I think about the show as a whole. Right. Um, but I think I've thought a lot more about the ending of The Sopranos and the meaning of the ending of The Sopranos. And part of that is just the ambiguity leaves you sort of mulling it over. Right. Um, but I mean, there is there's a lot. Uh, everyone kind of points to the end of Breaking Bad almost being that Ozymandias episode um, in the desert where right, yeah. kind of. It kind of uh, he and Jesse part ways and and, you know, Hank dies and, and all that good stuff. <laughs> but I mean, people kind of point to that as the the climax. And then it almost Felina almost is like an epilogue. Right. Um, whereas the Sopranos, it is the final shot that is that is resonating with people. You know, I, I'm I feel like I'm coming off very harshly against uh, Breaking Bad when I really love I really love that ending. We're just talking about like when you're drawing the differences between two like phenomenal pieces of television, you're really, you got, you, it sounds like you're splitting hairs because you really are. <laughs> and right, uh, right. Well, and I think Breaking Bad, it's not that the Breaking Bad ending is bad or that they necessarily even, it's not one versus the other, but I think the way Breaking Bad ends is an interesting lens through which to examine the end of The Sopranos because it's a absolutely. very, it's a similar, it's maybe the best show we have to compare it. Like, it is it is very clearly in the sopranos legacy and it is very clearly right. very good and it's a but it's a very different kind of ending it has none of the amb sort of ambiguity that that the sopranos has uh yeah i don't know i i think i think i i mean i don't as perfect as the breaking bad ending is for that story i think looking back on the sopranos this ending is perfect for this i think yes. you know people debate over Tony dying or something like that. And it's just so besides the point to me, I think, you know, in terms of like the broader themes of the show, it's like if you showed him dying or not dying in a non ambiguous way on screen, it would only take from the show, you know, it wouldn't, there would be nothing added. Yeah. Um, in the that thing, process. I think Solar Sites wrote it. Matthew Solar Sites, uh, the critic wrote that it was like the question was, does Tony die at the end? And he was like, of course, he dies at the end. Just maybe not like right in that moment. Yeah. Like, yeah, he dies and it's going to be terrible <laughs> when he dies. It's going to be like sudden and traumatic and probably maybe in front of his family. I don't know. But maybe it's not then. Maybe it's not tomorrow, but it's yeah. going to happen and it's going to suck. <laughs> I think I think what frustrates me about people's frustrations with endings like that is like with an ending who people who desire a more clear cut ending is like, OK, so somebody comes in and shoots Tony at that moment. OK, we know then what happened right then. But there's still so much that would be ambiguous about that. It's like, does AJ get his life together? What does Meadow end up doing? Does Soprant, does Carmela ever like see through her own sort of it's just like you have but all that frustration these... is the point right the point is for you to be like uneasy in that moment you're in in that moment of total non-closure you're in the same boat as tony you're feeling that same kind of i how does this how does it uh, 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 you know what i mean right uh, yeah it's this it's this total lack of of closure that is is the point yeah and that's what i'm saying though is like i think there's that kind of ambiguity does in some way exist for a lot of other shows we just we have this weird idea where we're like well if we were the show can kind of make a statement that it's like, oh, there was a happy ending. And then we can, it just allows us to believe that the the ending went a certain way for like 
everybody or every character. And it's like, even if you signaled like Tony dies in that moment, it still yeah. wouldn't point, answer. It still wouldn't answer the questions about all the other characters that you love. Like, okay, so Tony dies, but so what? Like, so what, what about, what about everybody else? It doesn't, you know, there, that question and the answer to it, I feel as much ambiguity about, you know, where the trajectories of everyone else as I do about Tony in that moment when it ends. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's a good note. Good note to to end on there, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Wait, point is, there, is, is there a good note to end? <laughs> point is the Sopranos incredibly influential. I think it's good. I think if you watch a lot of um if you watch a lot of modern TV it's a great show to watch just even to have i mean a it's entertaining and a great show one of it's the best one of the best written shows um, um, i've ever watched but also like it really will it really will give you insight as a viewer into sort of the progression and the perspective of tv and like the last decade of tv and where it's come from and what the foundation is for that um so you know i think watching the show could help you better understand um other other things that other great shows that are out there yeah absolutely um okay you want to jump to the the queue let's um, do it before we before we head out um so every month we also recommend something that we have in our queue that we've been watching um i don't know who went first last time uh i don't remember but you can go first this time <laughs> this month i'm going to recommend uh with caveats the great uh which is a hulu original are you saying that it's great i'm saying in my opinion <laughs> it's great i'm enjoying it um it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of a terrible name for a show uh but catherine the great was already taken by other shows so yeah isn't i guess this, they wasn't this an hbo show there, there was there was a show i think on hbo uh or maybe it was showtime or something called catherine the great that came out like just a couple years ago um but no this is the great um and it's from the writer of the favorite which was a uh oscar best picture nominee well you didn't tell me that a year or two ago <laughs> yes um Okay, so the pitch for the show is a very young Catherine the Great comes to Russia. She marries uh, Peter, the son of Peter the Great. And the premise of the show is that she must work her way through the, the learn the, the courts and the, the ways of the Russian culture so that she can orchestrate this coup against her terrible husband, who is played by Nicholas Holt and who is fantastic. Uh, Catherine is played by Elle Fanning. They both just do an amazing job. The great performances. It's hilarious. Uh, it kind of fits in this weird, like, I think the best thing I could compare it to would be Deadwood. If anyone's seen Deadwood, where it's like, it's an hour long sort of drama comedy about this group of characters, but it's also quite funny. Very is like, Deadwood a comedy or is it just that uh, Ian McShane is, is funny? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would not to get way off of. In the same, I don't know, it, it fits into that. It's like a drama comedy like Deadwood. I would even like throw something like Succession into that category okay. where it's like it's dramatic. It, it, I think I think uh, The Great is probably more of a comedy, in my opinion, than than like Succession is or maybe even Deadwood. Although, like, I don't know. To me, those shows just wouldn't be what they are. Like, they fundamentally wouldn't work if they weren't as funny as they were. Like, the comedy gotcha, gotcha. in those shows and in something like The Great is a key aspect of why it works, even dramatically. Even though the drama might be sort of the main component of... I don't know. But when I'm watching The Great, I have this feeling of, like, 
I'm here to laugh at the funny characters and the situations and the ridiculousness of it. And also it's fun to see sort of the progression of the story as that happens. Um, certainly not a traditional comedy by any means, but I would make an argument that it's in this sort of like dramedy realm. I will I will just say that the Wikipedia article for this this show says the great then uh, the subtitle is an occasionally true story is an American comedy miniseries. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, the, the, yeah, it's very fictionalized. It's uh, very anachronistic. Um, and if anyone's seen the favorite there, they were probably familiar with this. Like it's anachronistic in a way that sort of uses irony. Um, it's almost like uh, Armando Iannucci's uh, like um, what's the one he did recently? The Death of Stalin, um, okay. where it just like it's willing to throw historical accuracy out the window in certain ways, but it does so to comedic effect. I will say the caveat I'll throw onto this is that it's extremely dark. It's incredibly like irreverent and crude so it's not for the faint of heart by any imagination um Ooh. and i wouldn't say this about like a lot of things but if there's shows that need like maybe a content warning or trigger warnings of some kind like this show <laughs> is is maybe one of them because it's like very few things are off limits in this show and it's it's very just dark and irreverent um so okay. much like the favorite um, yeah 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 full disclosure thomas did tell me to watch the great before this podcast so that we could maybe discuss it instead of the sopranos um and i i didn't uh so sorry. i that's why <laughs> now, i said now i'm sold now I'm i sold. just said all the things that i would have said uh it was <laughs> my recommendation was basically my commentary on the great minus your half of the discussion so yes uh yeah i think we had a good conversation about the sopranos i don't, I don't know yeah no uh, no no it was good that i'm glad we we talked about the sopranos i think that's better than talking about the great i'm just saying i still found a way to sneak uh yeah, what no, i wanted I, to say about the great and very clever very clever <laughs> that's a uh, that's top level podcasting it was a great uh, jape as they would say in uh, the great uh i actually have two quick recommendations um that i won't go into as much detail as as thomas did but the first is avatar the last airbender um which is now on netflix and i don't know ex the demographics of our audience i don't know how many people have seen this it was obviously a, a show uh, for older kids i would say not teenagers but like preteens um from nickelodeon in the late 2000s but i think that a lot of our listeners are probably really interested in like storytelling structure and um kind of just overarching stuff and this show is just a really good story in that there aren't like a whole lot of twists and turns but all of the characters are really well defined they all are interested they all have like very strong motivations and the show is just about like putting them all on a collision course with each other and then using that to explore you know deep lessons about pretty heavy issues honestly the whole thing takes place during a war the main character's entire race has been genocided while he's been missing and just the nature of you know when is violence right or wrong and uh nature of good and evil and stuff like that and i think that just because it is written f to be easy to follow doesn't mean that it is not uh very well written um yeah it's a great example i i've seen some of it uh we we started watching some of it during this quarantine um but i've had a lot to watch and i've gotten sidetracked multiple times but yeah 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 
it, it's it's a great example of how you can do like all those things that you're talking about aren't shrouded underneath like layers and layers of like stuff on top of the storytelling like the storytelling is very transparent but that's not, in this case is not a um criticism like it, yeah it's a great example of how you can do that in a very transparent way and still have it be good yeah and i think that the show is it's very heartfelt and there is a lot of like lessons that are are maybe maybe they sound kind of like cheesy like friendship is good and, and stuff right, like that yeah. and being truthful is good but i think that they do a good job of really just kind of telling a good story about why that is true and yeah. um if you if you study like screenwriting or storytelling i think that it's a really good way of kind of seeing the bones of a great story yeah um, and the other thing i wanted to recommend is hulu's normal people um which is one of my favorite shows of the year I'm actually working on a video on it right now. It's uh, based on Sally Rooney's book. Um, she's an Irish novelist, and uh, it's kind of like a like a YA uh, young adult romance story. But the way that they they shoot it and the way that the story is told really puts the entire story is just about like the nuance of emotion. And I think that that is like also a super hard story to tell. And I think that they tell it really well um, and they just like build this tone. And uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite shows of the year. So um, where can they find you, Thomas? I am on the Internet uh, on YouTube. What? Yes, believe it or not. Um, I'm on YouTube. I'm on TikTok. Uh, I'm on Twitter, all these places. Uh, but if you look up Thomas Flight, wherever you'll find me, you can get his, his cool merch now. Right. Is that I new? do. Yeah, I do have some merch. I have a, a raven eating popcorn in a director's chair as a T-shirt uh, that was drawn by my uh, illustrated by my brother, uh, who's a really talented artist. So you can check that out. Awesome. And you can find me on YouTube at Skip Intro. Um, I also have made some YouTube video essays for The Ringer, uh, which I have in a playlist on my channel. And you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Jack APN2. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next month. <laughs> All right. Uh, talk to you later. <laughs> See ya.